Hi, I'm Sam Sells, and welcome to my podcast, Clean Money. I'm a serial entrepreneur that has led over 2 billion development projects around the world. But the work I am most proud of is the work we do here at Wild Mountain Capital. We not only create great returns for our socially conscious investors, but we make an impact in the many communities we work in and we change lives. I like to say investing matters, and my show is to talk with everyday folks that are not only creating great success, but making an impact in society and improving the lives of others. That is my mission, and I wanna share my stories and others with you. Welcome to Clean Money. Today, we're going to talk about uh, some Friday money and mindset. We're gonna talk about two things. One is how to make money through um, creative finance opportunities. And, um, but before we get to that, we're gonna talk about mindset. And hopefully I'm going to blow your minds. And if Trip's on the call, I know you're gonna disagree with me at the beginning of this conversation, which is great because I think this will just help drive home the point. All right, let me get my notes up for today. All right, so mindset, why do we talk about mindset? We we are all entrepreneurs, we're all starting something, right? You're, you're always starting something. Every entrepreneur is always starting something, continuing something, building and so forth. Um, and the way that works is as an entrepreneur, as the person who is leading the show, running the show, it may just be you, it may be a thousand people, um, regardless at, at this stage in the game, uh, it's super important to, um, know how to think. We have to know how to think. We have to know how to operate. Um, we have to think bigger and we need to understand how the world works either against us or for us and how to talk to people. Now, um, today, um, inside of that mindset, this is going to be extremely important to how you pitch. And this came after a pitch, an offering that Ryan Peterson and I did yesterday, uh, last night at it started at six o'clock and we went for like an hour, hour and a half, a long time. We should never go that long. Like we really should never go that long. And I made a, a commitment to myself afterwards that I'm going to start pitching in 20 minutes. Um, and we, you know, it'll go and then turn it over to, to questions. We can answer questions for 10 or 15 minutes, but if you go anything beyond that, everyone loses their engagement what we've seen time and time again is that when we're, we're doing these long calls, invariably somebody always asks a question that has already been asked and already been answered because people lose their attention, right? Our, we're all fickle beings. Our attention spans are short. You're already like, tune me out. And we're talking in soft, slow voices, right? And you people just get tuned out. All right. So, this is the truth that we're going to build this question on or build this conversation on. Money is a commodity. All right. Money is a commodity. 
when people are talking to you and to me about investing in a deal, are they solely focused on returns? No, right? They're not. When people invest in the stock market, are they solely focused on returns? No, they're not. I challenge anyone to to challenge that. If you think that's wrong and they're only focused on returns, bring it up. Why do people invest in Apple? They have a great history and I believe that that's going to continue in the future. And I like their ownership. Um, I like, I like, I like, which are all emotional or all, you know, feelings, right? That's it. So when people are talking to Ryan and me about a project or to any of you about a project, they're, you have to remember that the prize is not the return on investment. The prize is you, all right? Is the opportunity to work with you, the opportunity to work with me, all right? The opportunity to be involved in an investment that makes a difference in the world. Yes, the returns will be there or should be there, okay? Yes, it's an, it's an investment. Yes, it's in real estate. You know, yes, it's out of the stock market. Yes, they have more control than they do in the stock market. But the prize is you. When we start pitching who we are, talking about who we are and um, the investment itself, spend less time on the analysis of the deal and more time on why it's a privilege and a prize for them to work with you. Right. Money is the same and it is available everywhere. All right. It's a lot less available right now. Private equity is a lot less available now than it was a year ago where everyone was throwing money at everything. All you had to do was just go out and ask, Hey, you want to invest 50 grand in this deal? Sure. It's in real estate. Oh, great. Everything's making money, you know, black, right? It's important for us to realize that while money is a commodity and it's everywhere, you are not. You are not a commodity. You are not every everywhere. There's only one you. The deals that we are offering are different. We need to highlight why they are different right? We are creating millionaires. We're creating um, powerful people, powerful results. We are creating an opportunity for people to invest in a way that makes a difference that no other investment does because the other investments are just about money, or at least they pitch it as just about money. The prize is us. If we forget that we're the prize, and we're just pitching on returns and it's all about analysis. It's easy for analysis to find some flaw somewhere and use that flaw as a, as a cop out for them not to have to do anything. All right. 
Stop focusing on the returns. Focus on the prize. You're the prize. They, they call this reprising. It is not a typical sales technique. We're not going to do trial closes. We don't do any of that nonsense. We talk about the prize, who we are, what, what you do, what the, why the deal is a prize and why it's a prize to work with you. Money is a commodity. Remember that money is a commodity. You're the prize. All right. When we go and talk to folks, start out, hey, I'm glad I'm able to find some time to meet with you today. And I have a meeting right after this. So let's get started. All right. Rephrase and move things so that it's a reminder that you are the prize. I am glad that I found some time to meet with you today. Um, and so forth. If you start getting into analytics, say, hey, there will be plenty of time for analytics later. Happy to have you to go through the underwriting with you another time. But today we're just talking about the deal um, and us. Okay. So if you're not going to be happy working with us, the, the math doesn't make any sense at all or doesn't matter. Right. The prize is us. The prize is you. Okay. Any questions about that? Anyone disagree with money being a commodity and the prize being you? Okay. All right. So the, to make this um, a little more interactive as we go, if you agree, just throw that in the comments section. Hey, agree, pound, fist, heck yeah, hell yeah, we're on track. Sam, you're a lion, Saka, whatever. And I will happily just delete you off the call. If you say that, no, I won't do that. All right. There we go. Yeah. Right on. Let's go. Okay. If you tell right off the bat that the person you're pitching to, you're sharing with is completely uninterested, change the change the game really quickly. All right. Change the topic. Do something completely unexpected, disruptive, but do it in a in a nice, friendly manner or a humorous manner, and then get back. If they really are not interested, then stop. Don't waste your breath spending 20, 30, 40, 50 minutes trying to browbeat them into believing that they should work with you. They're not the right fit. If they're not the right fit, they're not the right fit. Right? If they're super, super analytical and anxious and worried and stressed out about numbers, you don't want them to invest anyways. Um, because the market may have a hiccup and they're going to blame you for it. Right? You don't want that. You don't need that nonsense in your life. All right? Real estate is... Every once in a while is beautiful and gorgeous and returns are ridiculous. But most of the time, it's just it's just real estate. Like a bunch of humans inside of a physical structure and all sorts of stuff happens. All right. A lot of crap can happen and you can still make a lot of money on the deal. All right. Okay. So that is mindset. Money is a commodity again and you are not. And that's 
it for the mindset piece today. And let's get going on. The other prize for us as a syndicator is finding a deal. It's how many of you are ready to start looking for deals in this marketplace? Um, yeah, you got a question or are you just saying? I'm just saying rah, rah, go, Sam. All right. Yep. Looking every day, Tony, great. I I see deals all the time right now in the, in the marketplace. And what we're seeing a lot of, we talked about this just briefly before, is owner, there's people are offering owner finance. Um, and sellers are far more open to all sorts of different arrangements that may make sense. So we like to say that it, it's best if, particularly if it's not a big deal, you should always be buying um, local to you. So if it's going to be a 20 unit property, a 50 unit property, you want to buy that thing local within an hour's drive because you're going to be driving out there frequently. All right. When it gets over 150 units, it does not need to be local because you can hire great property management, um, good asset management, and you can probably get asset management local as well. Uh, you need somebody there who can be there frequently. If not, you're going to be on the road a lot. So let's talk about um, creative financing. Has anyone here done a deal that was considered a creative deal or creative financing? Bill. I was doing seller financing. Um, I was on the buy side and uh, interest rates are just crazy like they are now. And so uh, we offered to, you know, we asked them if they'd be willing to do some owner financing. And I think it was like four and a half, five percent interest rates back then were like nine percent. And, um, so yeah, it worked out real well. They just amortized it, uh, you know, with uh, that APR in mind, and we're on. I think it was a thirty-year note, and uh, worked out fine. They acted like the bank, and uh, our client uh, buyer paid made payments to them just like they would a bank, and it was worked out pretty smooth. It worked out well for them too because they didn't have to recognize all the income at once. They used the installment sale method, and. Um, you know, um, that way they could minimize their tax burden liability. Yeah. That's about as fancy as I've gotten. I like to hear more different types of, you know, fancier type of um, financings, you know, like to learn, need to learn more about them. Awesome. Yeah. Thanks. Uh, thank you for sharing, Bill. Anyone else who's done, um, creative deal all right so let me define what a creative deal is and maybe this will help too so owner financing is a creative finance uh, deal that's probably the most common uh, type of of creativity creative is really just means anything outside of 25 percent down um, and a lender does a basic loan uh, even in residential real estate, creative financing is really common. So owner financing, um, you can get a house owner finance. We've done 
um, you know, lots of different things. And, uh, you know, Tony just totally distracted me with throwing that uh, Riverside Jacksonville deal online. That was not my intention. It was, it was their talking point for later, but I apologize for that. Yeah, no, perfect. Uh, so creative financing can be all sorts of stuff in commercial real estate. What's really cool, one of the things I love about commercial real estate is you're only really limited by your ability to um, think through problems and how to come up with solutions. All right. Your ability or your coach's ability or your network's ability to help and think of different ways to do things. There is really an infinite way to do things, but the most common ways uh, for creative financing are uh, owner finance, apartment complexes, mobile home parks. Um, and then there's the master lease. All right. We'll talk about that here in a second. Um, there is the, which master lease off is similar to a lease option in regular real estate. Um, and then we have, you know, the, the seller can carry a second position. All right. What that means is the seller can say, okay, I'm going to sell this to you for $20 million just to make the, the math easy. And that second position is basically, let's say seller is going to carry $3 million on a note. It, it would be attached to the property or it could be a personal note, I guess. Um, and then you need $5 million down. So they carry three. You just need to bring $2 million down. Uh, that's how you buy. I see advertised all the time, no money down deals. Do those exist in commercial real estate? And the answer is yes. Um, there are, I'll show you, I'll tell you exactly how we did it on South uh, Glen at 245 unit when we purchase it. So this is how we purchased it. The long story short, at the very end, after a dozen different iterations, uh, the loan, first position, uh, lender carried the first loan. We had raised about a million dollars. We had a uh, institutional investor who was going to um, do the equity. And then at the last minute, they pulled out like a day or two before closing. Uh, because that's a long story. Um, and the we extended so we can go get some more cash. The seller offered to carry uh, $3 million. Uh, in the end, we convinced them to carry $5.1 million on a note. So we had a million dollars from investors. We had $5 million from um, our uh, seller. And that was more money than we needed to close on the project fund, all the reserves. Uh, so we actually put into our pocket a few hundred thousand dollars, um, to help cover, um, debt service payments. Oh, here's Jesse. And we had that second note at 8%. So that was a no money down, no money out of our pocket, essentially down deal. Um, that's on a $15 million purchase project. Now, do we, is that money still considered our money down? Yeah. I mean, we owed $5 million. And so we, later on, we sold equity in the project, took that money out uh, to pay down that loan or no. 
don't really advise doing it that way. I'd rather have it be a second position on the property tied to a one or two or three year loan. Um, and that's probably a better way to do it, but that's how we did it last time. Cool. Jesse, welcome to the show. Glad to be here. Thanks. Yeah. We, uh, you missed our conversation about money being a commodity. I'm sure Trip was rolling around in his grave over there. So now we're talking, so we're talking about creative financing, um, options. So Tony, you just sent a deal, uh, in Riverside, Jacksonville, Florida. I don't know that it gets to get called a deal just yet. I, it, the, the thing that brought it to my attention was the cap rate when I was searching and just, just looking at what options are out there. And then, excuse me, my, uh, my throat's closing up on me. The cap rate stood out to me. Uh, it's close by, which is something that I've been trying to keep in mind as well. Um, and also when I got into it, it just noticed the creative financing. So those three things sort of stood out to me initially. And I did reach out to the broker and ask them for more information because the, whatever information they have listed there on pro form on the site seems not that that just seems like a auto fill in type thing. It's all nines, obviously not right. Um, but, but yeah, I have not been able to really do anything beyond the surface for it. Um, something that stood out to me is like the interior of it looks pretty well refreshed and already renovated. So I don't know how much room they're leaving. And I, I'm sorry to take that down this direction. I know it's not necessarily the point of our call, but uh, that that's what stood out to that one. Yeah. So I, I like how in that description they say, um, and now you're going to know what this means, creative financing with seller's equity may also be available. So if they're saying creative finding, financing with seller's equity, that means they're willing to keep some of their equity in the deal um, probably as a second position or as preferred equity or just as LP equity, which would be even better because there's no current pay loan on the project that you have to pay loans too much debt on a project too much leverage um if there's a cash flow issue because of interest rates going up by 500 percent, those loans those debt service payments can kill you all right cause you to go into default and so forth if that money is equity and it's an eight percent preferred return and you're going to give out eight percent to them every single month or the, the, a return match that if Interest rates go up by 500%. You're like, hey, everyone, sorry. Interest rates went up by 500%. The feds are trying to kill us. Um, you know, returns are going to be postponed or greatly reduced um, for the future. All right. And you can do that without being worried that somebody's going to try and come take your property or so forth. Okay. Now, that one's a really nice deal. There's something people can do. So this is a sneaky side of doing this. Okay. Um, let's say I bought a property for $5 million. The market goes up. Uh, I want to sell it for $15 million. I want to make $10 million off this project. Okay. Just a massive amount of money because I bought right. I bought it in 2020. Um, and then I'm about to go up. 
And so what, what do we have here is like, Hey, I could cash out. Um, somebody come in and buy it. I could offer $3 million of equity. It turned into LP equity. I can go on and do my thing. Um, take all the cash I had plus make a return and I can go out there. Um, and now I can ensure that the deal gets closed on and gets operated on. And even if they don't do a great job, uh, my $3 million should grow. All right. And that was just play money anyways. That was money I never had in the deal. Um, and instead of having to pay taxes on it, I can leave it in there and push taxes down the road. Uh, so that's kind of that's kind of where th they do it. Now, is that sneaky? No, but just understand that that may be happening. So they may be selling this for $229,000 a door and they may have bought it for hundred K a door. You can find all that out. It's all public information. Um, and so they may just be rolling in equity, just play money. So like um, to avoid taxes, like was said before or brought up before. Fine. That's all just fine. What I want you guys to start looking at right now, because we, you know, this is a coaching program for syndications. Like we need to buy some stuff, right? And we've been talking a lot about um, other things. We have two deals coming out very, very shortly. Uh, as soon as we can get Lanasha back from her trip and finish up the stuff. Anyhow, so those will come out very shortly, but it's just, it's a three-month process to buy something. It may be a six-month process to buy something, all right? It's just because of how things are in the market right now. So if we start something today, we find a deal, we share it together. In three months, we're, this, we're talking about Christmas. And sometimes you may think about it like, this is a Christmas present. We're going to close on a deal. We're going to give investors an opportunity to get uh, more tax depreciation this year. Plus, they're going to have an opportunity. Remember, we're the prize. They're going to have an opportunity to work with us on a impact investment opportunity. All right. And no, impact investment does not necessarily mean it has to be dilapidated, distressed, um, gunshots, and blah, blah, blah. Right. It does not. You can build storage units in a brand new area because there's no storage and people need to put their stuff someplace. That makes a difference in their lives. It's for the guys, it beats our wives putting our, our stuff on the curb while we're off at work and coming home and wondering where all of our stuff is, right? It's like, oh, I just cleaned up around the house. Or, oh, okay, it's all stored in the garage. Yeah, nope, <laughs> somebody else's garage. All right, so like impact can be big. We like to do heavy value add stuff. You guys don't have to do heavy value add stuff. Right. In fact, I'd recommend not starting with heavy value add stuff. If you're going to start with heavy value add stuff, then we need to be very involved on those deals because those deals are very difficult. But right now, today, like you just did, look for opportunities where people are saying owner financing may be available. All right. There are not a lot of buyers in the market right now. If if it's close to you, a 30 unit, a 50 unit, a 100 unit, 100 units even better, those are great deals. If it's a 100 unit deal and it's selling at 60, 70 million dollars, 80 million dollars, or 80 million, six, seven, eight million dollars, or 10 million dollars, that's a good deal. 
we can raise two or three million dollars and get that deal closed. Probably three, three-ish, maybe four million dollars in, in today's market. But if you can get an owner financed and uh, or the owner to carry a second, we may only have to raise a million dollars to get that deal done. And I'm pretty sure with 10 or 11 people on on in here and 15 or so in the in the system, we can go raise a million dollars in a month. Pretty dang easy, right? So Sam, I'm sorry, I showed up a little late, but why would the owner want to finance it? Why is it where does that benefit them? Yeah, great, great point. So the owner fi- owner is going to either want to finance it or um, do a second like this one, uh, provide equity because they're either losing money. Uh, what happened to a lot of people is they, they didn't forecast interest rates going up like crazy. Um, so they need to, they need to offload in which case they're not willing to owner finance, but if you can find new debt, they'll, they'll happily, even on a syndication deal, they'll even put three or $4 million of their syndicators cash or lease syndicators, their investors cash in the deal because they want a return for their investors. And if they can, let's say they bought it at $15 million, the value went up to 18, $20 million. And all of a sudden the values have dropped back down, but they're losing cash. It's better for them to sell above the market at maybe $17 million and keep $2 million or $3 million of investor cash in the deal. They get some of their money back with you bringing in new debt and new equity. So now they can guarantee their investors are going to get 8% because they're going to have a PREF return in there. Their investors are not going to lose their money. They can save face because they're not going to let a deal go completely sideways. They can't sell it in the market. They're not savvy enough to operate in a down market. Um, They came in too high. They don't know how to squeeze, like they don't know all of Jesse's techniques that he's talked about how to make a lot of money on a project. They don't know all those things. They're just thinking raise rents. Now rents aren't going up anymore. All their projections that rents were going to go up by 10% a year forever have turned out not to be true. Um, Debt went up. They're in a pickle. Those guys are ready. You have other people who are retiring. I saw one in... uh, New Braunfels, not too long ago, 150 unit, $10 million, or maybe it was 100 unit, $10 million. They were willing to provide $7 million of debt for the deal. They own the deal outright. They're retiring. They just want to be a lender and receive a monthly paycheck and not have any headaches. Or get hit by capital gains super hard on that giant paycheck they get. Now that they get a paycheck the rest of their lives, probably of yeah. 30 grand or whatever it is, 50 grand or hundred grand. Yeah. Because they held on to the property for, yeah. Or a hundred grand a month and yeah. 50, yeah. Probably 80 grand a month on a $10 million loan. And then yeah. they're, they're, yeah, that's exactly right. They, they've held on to the property for 10 years. They bought it at $5 million. Their investors paid it off for none of their investors. They're, um, Residents paid off the property a long time ago. Retire, not mess with tenants and toilets and townships, the three T's of real estate. 
is a 1031 exchange is that um is that something that's used in commercial real estate like it is in residential yes it okay. is now there's a caveat with 1031 exchanges uh, you can take 1031 exchanges into your syndication but 1031s have to buy a piece of the real estate so they have to have a deed on with through the 1031 so let's say you have a 20 million dollar deal and you have a $2 million 1031. You're going to have to carve $2 million worth of the deal out for that $2 million 1031. And then the rest of the deal is what you syndicate. And so they owe $2 million worth of the land, of the buildings. Uh, they have a deed. Um, and that's when you, you have to run a, a different... We're, we're doing the exact same thing right now. We're selling uh, a deal that was syndicated over um, into 1031. So restructured, selling it off to 1031 buyers. And if a broker brings a 1031 buyer, they're going to charge a 6% commission because it's like they're selling a piece of real estate. Mm -hmm. And you need to factor that in your deal. Sorry, it's my long to wake up jesse normally takes a nap right about now so we're <laughs> we're right and it's uh sleepy time just kidding so a question about the 1031 let's say i have a 1031 and i need to get this thing going next month uh but ryan has one that's you know four months from now and the close is getting on the property is getting close to where my 1031 needs to be actioned what do you do as the uh the buyer as a, as a sponsor, how do you handle that situation? Yeah. So 1031 can get kind of messy. 1031 can get messy. Uh, we've never used one on a purchase. All right. I've known people to use them on a purchase and um, a couple of things happen. The 1031 will not close until you, the day you close, All right? Funds will not hit your account. They'll go direct toward into the lender's account or not the lender's account into the property account. Um, that's set aside for the 1031. Uh, and so you have this little, you have this little dance, all right? You, you're like, okay, I'm assuming that you are really going to put your million dollar 1031 monies into this deal. They signed all the paperwork and everything, but they haven't closed, officially closed until you close on the property all at the same time. So if at the last minute, which happened to a guy I know, that was a one and a half million dollar 1031. They go to closing, the day of closing, he said, oh, we can't, we found a different property. So now he's one and a half million dollars short. Fortunately, they have owed, they had oversubscribed on the other side. Um, this was a couple of years ago when money was falling out of the sky. They had enough to close and then they had to restructure the deal a little bit, get rid of that 1031, re-enter that $1.5 million worth of land uh, and so forth into the deal. Um, and then raise the rest of the money using um, private investors. Hey Sam, I've never done obviously a 1031 on in syndications, but I have done them in commercial real estate transactions and uh, one of the things that's really difficult about 
1031s is the fact that you know you have to you have a time uh, ticking time bomb basically time clock and you have a 45 days to identify and i think it's 180 to close it uh but as you mentioned sometimes there's um a little wrinkle in the deal where the replacement property they change their mind or something like that and when that happens i would imagine all those capital debt gains taxes would be due to the irs because you don't have anything to defer them so we we've had uh, a scenario where their 1031 expired or was expiring and we did this for south acres we structured the deal because of how it was so that all the um all the depreciation went to investors and we were able to give uh they invested two hundred fifty thousand dollars. they were the only other investors so we gave we were able to stru- structure the deal so that he got two hundred fifty thousand dollars worth of depreciation um, because he put two hundred fifty thousand dollars of profits into that project uh, and so we were able to help him in, in that scenario. Awesome. Like that's what we want to do. Right. Um, but we're really creative and we were able to find a way to take care of them and help them out. Um, that's really, really abnormal. Yeah. Uh, so, but if, even if they, they do come in passive and they put their funds into a project, you, if you, as long as you do a cost segregation study and you're doing a bunch of CapEx, you can provide a lot of depreciation and reduce their tax burden quite a bit. Yeah, that's a great point. It actually worked out pretty well for them and made them happy because they were freaking out at the time too. Cost yeah. segs, segs are really important. Really important. And think about it this way too. Like I can either give $250,000 to the government as taxes and oh, they're going to use that money to make sure the Clintons get paid or whatever. And then, you know, they're poor. They got, they got to keep their money. And so um, they only got five, five million plus houses, whatever. So it's like, okay, so you, you can just give your money to them or you can put it into another project, get back $200,000 uh, or get rid of $200,000 worth of tax liability and you only owe $50,000 as an example at the end of the year. Everybody's tax situation is so different and tax law is so ridiculously complicated that you can't say with definitive this will work for you or not unless you're their CPA. And in fact, as Jesse and I found, CPAs disagree with each other all the time. Uh Our new CPA doesn't like the way the last CPA did stuff. Um, the guys that we had in between didn't agree with either one of them. So it's just been a, yeah. Anyways, I, we have one investor who's a CPA and they like to email me and say, this is all simple. <laughs> you're not, a, I, I know you're not a tax CPA and you're not involved in these kind of deals. They shouldn't have had any issues doing this. I'm like, bro, you don't know. And, you know, he can, you know, no at all. Just a no at all. He's lucky he passed CPA exam, probably. But it's on defense. It's a difficult exam. I've taken it twice. It is tough. Anyway. Yeah. I'd bar. 
I think he's like a consultant or something like that, but he doesn't do actual CPA tax work. CPA accounting, CPA tax, CPA approval license. It's like real estate agents, right? They're not all the same. They don't all have the same expertise. Just because you pass the state license doesn't mean you know anything or hardly much of anything about real estate. Bookkeepers that were better than some CPAs. Yeah. A lot of yeah, I think Jesse's firing our uh, one of our a CPA today, right? Some deserve. Don't do squat. Don't don't do squat. And when they do something, it's not necessarily right. All right, so we got ten minutes or so, twelve minutes left in the call. Um, I want uh, each of you to start looking for opportunities in your areas to pick up a piece or a type of commercial real estate that you would like to own, you would like to have in your portfolio. If that's storage, uh, commercial strip centers, if you bring us an office, we're going to shoot you. Don't do any offices. All right. I don't care if it's owner finance. Yeah, they would gladly do that and make you pay a bill. Don't touch it, all right? Don't touch it. Not right now. Um, we're not doing any office conversions, all right? We're not doing it. Um, strip centers are doing really well right now. Um, triple net lease type of deal, like a CBS or something else like that. Probably you're not going to get creative financing on it, okay? But you could on a strip center. People retire, people exit. Somebody is always exiting. It doesn't matter if it's 2000, beginning in 2009, there's somebody trying to sell something today. And you use the market to buy stuff. And today, right now, is a fantastic time to go and look for stuff that's being creatively financed. It's quite possible that we could find something that is $0 down. And we just raise funds from investors, put together capital, some of our own, uh, a lot of theirs, and that funds the the construction, that funds the the cost of the deal, um, the fees, and so forth. All right. So when you're looking for stuff, don't look, Tony. Don't look at these ones that are beautiful, gorgeous, and. I mean, you can, you can, you can even call them and, and say, what's up? Like, I mean, that technically that could be a no money down deal. You just need to find debt. And I'm sure you could get debt on something like that. This, that beautiful, fully occupied running at a seven and a half cap. Like if I was in Jacksonville, I'd call about that deal probably just because is it possible that I could buy this with $0 out of my pocket or very, very few. We're going to learn by doing, folks, and creative financing. Like two years ago, you couldn't hardly create a finance anything unless it was really, really distressed. Right now, you can create a finance all sorts of stuff. Uh, assume the note. Maybe it's a 4% note. You can assume it, plus get a piece uh, or get the syndicator who is struggling to get them to cover two or $3 million worth of equity, $4 million worth of equity, and you you come in 
as a new operator and bring it to the, bring it to the madhouse here and we will structure that thing, organize, train, equip, as I like to say in the military, OT&E and get after it. Okay. That's a good idea too. Cause, cause if you do that, most likely that syndicator will probably pay out their investors, make them happy. And then they roll their own portion back into the deal so they can actually make money too. That'd be a win-win for everybody involved. Otherwise he's getting hosed, he's getting yelled at, or they are getting yelled at right by all their investors because returns are going to be terrible because the problem, the cost of everything. So, yeah, that's what I was thinking we could do on the, um, that one for 18 million, uh, but they just, they're just not quite distressed enough. They, they just wanted a little bit too much. And so happy to come in and, and take over the debt, but you guys are going to need to keep four or $5 million in this deal. And basically all we're doing now is just replacing operators and bringing in an extra million or, or so to cover the gaps. And in that case, they probably did not capitalize correctly because there's a lot of work needed at that complex and they didn't have the money to do anything. That was what I saw was missing from that Jacksonville property is it looked like they, they did a lot of work and very, very recently did a lot of work to make that place feel polished and nice. And it's a C class. It's also really old too. I don't know if you noticed the the year that building was built. It's, it's pretty old, um, but they didn't leave a lot of work for, you know, easy upgrade or value add uh, at least from not from a, from my, my uh, point of view. Yeah, it looks like they added in split AC units, which is the right thing to do. Whoever was their designer did a fantastic job. They spent a lot of money on this place. Like you said, it's got to be value add, folks. We It has to be value add. Value add is where you're going to make your money. Um, and for first time buyers, uh, really forever for now, uh, it should be cash flowing day one. There should be a cap rate. All right. My goal today was to not go over because we've been going over every single time. Um, we talked about, and if you're late to the call, we talked about mindset for a little bit. Money is a commodity. Is that a dig at me, Sam? <laughs> <laughs> no, I didn't say Jesse is a commodity. I said money is a commodity. Yeah, Jesse's showing up 30 minutes late for the <laughs> call. I am right there with you, Jesse. It was a couple of us, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we got a smaller group today. It's okay. Um, but uh, it's Friday. You got no job. So money is a commodity. You guys are the prize, right? You are the prize. When you, you talk to investors, you're the prize. The opportunity is for them to work with you, somebody who has your head on their shoulders, um, and your network, which is the people sitting in this room right now, you're talking about decades of experience, tons of skill, lots of good minds sorting things out. And for heaven's sakes, I wish I would have had a group where I could have brought my deals to or our deals to four or five years ago and said, hey, guys, this is what I got. What do you think? And they've been like, don't do that deal or yeah but we're going to do it this way and that would have saved us a ton of headache and all these gray hairs because i am only 20 years old all right cool homework the work i want to see 
deals getting thrown in the Slack channel this week. Hey guys, here's one in Jacksonville or, or your location. Um, put it in the um, Slack channel. And for whatever reason, Slack is not sending me notifications. It's always sent me notifications. So I'm my apologies if I haven't responded. Um, Heidi's been reminding me. So whenever she reminds me, I get in there. But I will click on all the buttons again and figure out why in the world I'm not getting notified. But it should get you the little numbers and tell you when something gets posted in there and take a look at other people's owner finance deals. And if it if the first sniff test sounds good, give them a call. And even if it doesn't, give them a call and see what they'll do. Because a lot of times it's things are crazy right now. They say, oh, the, the whisper price is 10 million. You're like, hmm, okay. I don't care what you say. Let's look at and see what we want to offer. And maybe we only offer $5 million. Uh, maybe you offer 10. Maybe you offer 11 and offer more than what they're asking. Uh, but you make it on condition that they cover everything. Because there's a ton of value in there. Um, and you get them to pay for everything. It's a truly no money down deal. You raise money to do whatever pieces we need to do. And of course, we have to get paid. So we're going to raise money to make sure we get paid. And that's all going to be disclosed, open, honest. And the only reason why we do this is so we can make a difference in the world and in our own lives. So if we're not doing that, then we shouldn't be doing it. Okay. Any questions about this stuff? We are not going to rush into a deal just because we want one, but let's go find a deal. You will make your worst decisions being anxious to find a deal and just jump one into one. And when the right one shows up that can make a lot of money, let's make it happen. Thank you for tuning in to Clean Money, where we talk about sustainable investing that improves society. We are passionate about creating great investment returns to investors who want to use their money to make a positive social impact in the world. If you enjoyed the episode, We'd appreciate a five-star review. And if you are interested in making your investing matter, please connect with us at wildmountaincapital.com. Or you can find me, Samuel Sells, on LinkedIn, on Twitter at Sells underscore Samuel, on Instagram at Clean Money Sam, or on Facebook. And finally, make your investing matter.